everyone and welcome to episode 6 of What's the Chakkar? My name is Karan Madhok and I'm the editor and co-founder of The Chakkar. Thechakkar.com is an Indian arts review, a celebration of India's artistic creativity where we publish writing on Indian music, film, literature, theater, art, sports and more. We also publish creative work like poetry, fiction, photography, original art, etc. In this episode, I will interview a number of guests on recent trends in music, literature, film and TV. from india and abroad in conversation today with adi manral shasta vaishnav and pratik santram we will discuss indian punk rock with a special focus on the band punk on toast we will celebrate india's worst best films after an entertaining rewatch of deshdrohi and we'll talk about books by lori gottlieb and franz kafka so strap in and let's go around the chakkar so i'm here with adi manral Adi, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Karan. How are you? I'm good. We, uh, you know, we've been covering uh, a bunch of different genres of indie, Indian indie music in the last few episodes. We did some stuff on, you know, singer songwriters from Northeast last month. We've done some stuff on Indian hip hop. Um, and then th- this month, a few weeks ago, you know, uh, almost by serendipity, by by chance, I, I came across a pretty interesting Indian punk band. they called punk on toast and i ha- i have i have very little background very had very little knowledge of indian punk punk music to be honest you know um and i i listened to the new live album and i was pretty delighted by it so uh, before i talk about punk on toast uh, i want to ask you adi what is your relationship with like punk music in india do you know about indian punk music do you know about this well, specific band we're talking about like like you were saying that you have very little knowledge of punk music especially in india like i i was going to say like punk music in india is really still very very young like it's not it's not there yet like we don't have we just have probably a handful of bands mm-hmm. some bands that sound punk but probably are not punk um whereas punk on toast is definitely punk like there is no uh, you know mis- you can't be mistaken this is punk music and uh, like you said my knowledge on punk music is is also very limited in india especially with um, with the scene being so young mm-hmm. it's just a handful that you get to hear so what is it specifically you know this is sort of an open ended question it might be a philosophical question almost but, but what would you say specifically makes punk music punk like because it's more than just the sound right i mean the sound is a big part of it you know the sex pistols the ramones and all are some like big big names we think about but it's more than that there's an attitude there's a lyrical sort of like rebellious spirit to punk right that's that's part of the the culture or the part of the genre yeah i think you asked a very very deep question over here like mm-hmm. even uh, even to answer that uh, i i think you kind of answered it by 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 saying that the attitude the the the, the lyrics that they use mm-hmm. and the music definitely is part of all of that but i i feel like um, just taking punk on toast like you know they they they're writing about relevant stuff things that that matters uh, political stuff uh, you know maybe trying to give it a, a comic like a spin like uh, around it like there's a comic comic angle to all, all all the stuff that they're writing and there's it's been a general trend on how you've uh, noticed punk even abroad uh, bands that we like uh, you know um, they have a similar vibe to the to the music that they write So um speaking of punk and toast in particular they are a punk rock band uh, based out of mumbai so far they released a few notable projects uh, in 2015 they had a debut ep it was called for hire and in 2017 their full length album which adi i think you enjoy quite a lot it's called we abuse a lot so what a great title um yeah. 
and just last month they they uh, released the live album that I'm uh, uh, speaking of called Grugs Are Dude, which is a play on Drugs Are Good. Um, so this album it features eleven energetic, angry, just pure punk tracks. You know, uh, it was released from a live set they performed at Mumbai's Above the Habitat in 2019. Now the title and the album there it's inspired by the band NoFX and their own landmark release Punk in Drublik. Um, and just to introduce you guys to the band, it's uh, Aditya Nayak on vocals. Kunal Dole on guitar, Kalidash Noy on drums, and uh, Prathamesh Sandan Singh on bass. Um, do, do, before I go on speaking more about them in particular, are there any other punk bands, Adi, that from India that you feel we should flag, we should speak about? I know Tripwire. Many consider them as to be sort of like, you know, the the sort of the pioneers of Indian punk rock. Do you know about the music? Do you know any other Indian punk bands we should highlight? No, no, not really. Like, not really. I, I, um. So, like, before you do jump into, you know, the, reviewing the the punk on tours, mm-hmm. I would like to say that you know this is one of the bands that I had already heard of. Uh, uh you know, two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen, they were already making a name for themselves. Uh, um, which which is uh, commendable, right? Like, I, I, I think before we even started talking, I was telling you that you know how in in India there are bands which will be considered as punk, but but their music doesn't sound like punk. When when you do hear it, and uh, when you listen to punk on toast, you know this is a punk band. So they are spot on. They 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 know what they're doing. They know their genre, and uh, they know where they fit. And and so and they're doing what they're doing, and it's and it's all good. Yeah, uh, th- there are a few others which sort of flirt with the genre. You know, I'd mentioned Tripwire. There's Death by Fungi, Pacifist, The Light Years Explode, right. Grey Fade, The Riot Peddlers. You know they made they made their names on the scene, and I think it's only right that we shout them out as well. Uh, but speaking of punk and toast, you know, like their songs may not have, you know, we inevitably start comparing Indian bands to like the best bands abroad, and sometimes it may be an unfair uh, comparison. But you know, with punk and toast, for example, they may not they might not have the melodic or the lyrical depth that some of the best punk music has abroad. But they definitely, I felt they're definitely punk in their character. You know. The album is just like a big middle finger <laughs> to a to a lot of people. If you just if you just see the song titles alone, modified, democracy yeah. is a lie. The nation wants to know. Yeah. Uh, there's an anti-religion song called "Got No Bread or Wine." There's "Being Inhuman," which is uh, a Salman Khan <laughs> song. Um, yeah. I don't want to. These are all songs of rebellion. Um, in my opinion, Punk and Toast they are at their best when they are in a state of sort of controlled chaos. When they're like a well-organized jam session, you know, so you hear a track like a modified or I don't want to or Nation wants to know, or my friends, and then in particular the song we chose for today, their closer, it's called MH370. They right. like particularly rebel in this spirit, you know, they're evoking a call in response from the audience and from each other, and then they just allow the the guitars and the drums just to go free. Right. Yeah, I also liked uh, Karan. I, I think um, you because you have spoken to the to the folks at punk and toast as well so you know them better than i do but i i i have to kind of say that um, they've they've been very innovative like you know to to release a full live album out um no matter what it sounds like you know it's just that's also a form of uh, rebellion like you know like hey this is what we've done we're going to put it up and i find that very very innovative it's very punk like you know that that this is that attitude this is that vibe that you were talking of and you know like who else do you really see doing this in india so yeah. you know all, all the points to them for for doing this and releasing an album 
completely live like 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 they've released a studio album as well but but this is their live version of it so yeah hats off to this effort and uh, what i'll add to that is like you know so I, I, i've also reviewed this album and it'll probably be on uh, updated on the chakra around the same time that you guys hear this podcast maybe a little bit little bit after um what i liked about it so it's it's so strange we are listen uh, me listening to this album in uh april 2021 where we are in the height of the pandemic there are no live shows or or there are no live shows that of that kind but it's a very funny experience to or not funny experience it's a very like fun experience i should say to listen to this album because it it takes me into a very crowded packed small club yeah. i like i get the feeling that there's people sweating around me the floors are sticky you know there's like people spitting everywhere the 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 speakers are like there's too much you know uh, there's just too much bass in the speakers and stuff you know like i i i i almost get the feeling that i'm i'm at a show which is yeah. kind of a bittersweet experience to yeah, yeah. Album because it really recreates that atmosphere in a way yeah i think the only thing that we were missing is probably we should also have a beer turn off the lights <laughs> in the room maybe maybe drink the yeah maybe drink and then listen to the whole album once again <laughs> <laughs> um it, it 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 will definitely help now uh, to, to to close off our, our conversation on uh, on this band i will i want to sort of focus on the song i chose because uh, it's called mh370 and uh, it's it really has some of that best spirit of the, the rebellious free punk freedom that we've spoken about you know it's titled after the disappeared malaysian airlines flight and it features uh, tabish khider by the song's conclusion you know and you guys will listen to it and it's also the conclusion of the album the band they they chant these cries you know i'm never coming home i'm never coming home and it makes for such an ideal end of show experience or an or end of set experience it takes right. a listener away from the music that we hear in the head, headphones to an actual live setting of fun and freedom that that we've been talking about so uh, i i really enjoyed the, uh, the the sort of momentum that the song built by the very end of it and i think that's why uh, we have chosen the live version of the song uh, right. as featured on this recent live album to be a song of the month yeah and let's hope they they keep coming home like it's not like they're not coming home we would like to see them on stage one day and and hopefully we'll be there to cover it too and on that note here's our uh, track of the month punk on toast with the song mh370 this one is this one's called mh370 Stop 
Beautiful Tabby, everybody. Tabby. Tab sugar puppets. Happy to welcome back Shasta Vaishnav on What's the Chakkar? How are you, Shasta? Hi, hi, Karan. All is fine. Uh, thank you so much for having me again. And there's a soundtrack of constant ambulances passing by. So uh, against that soundtrack, I feel like our mental health is deteriorating also. And which is why I have actually uh, uh, serendipitously read a book on mental health. And I didn't okay. mean to, but this, yeah. this book is on mental health. It is not okay. a self-help book. Okay. Uh, it, is, it is part fiction, part true. And okay. uh, it's a book called Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Laurie Gottlieb. Okay. Um, so, so it's part fiction. Book, I, I I thought it was a I thought it was more of a memoir, but it's actually it's fictional too. No, no. It uh, why I say part fiction is because she's made sure that she really, really changes every story of her. It is a memoir, but she okay. ma- she changes every story very meticulously so that uh, her patients are not recognizable. Okay. I think this was a pretty well received uh, memoir. It came out. Uh, I think I'm I'm just looking it up right now. I think uh, just a couple of years ago, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. So it was, it's, it's very well received. It's been mm-hmm. talked about a lot. I've heard about it a lot. So I decided to, I mean, I, um, I uh, suggested it as our next book club read and everybody sort of was very mm-hmm. enthusiastic about it. Okay. So we've all been reading it. And um, uh, it's, so it's very interesting because Laurie Gottlieb herself comes from a very informed place. She was, she started out as, a, she started out as a medical student. And she was studying medicine in, and, and then she went on to uh, become a journalist. Hmm. And uh, from there, she went on to become a therapist. So she's actually been a part of many different, oh, she didn't start out as a med, she started out as a TV writer, a TV uh-huh. producer. Wow. Yeah. So she was actually working with friends and uh, huh. on the set of friends and on the set of ER and everything. Mm-hmm. And on the set of ER, she realized that she's very interested in medicine. And, you know, That's she's more interested in that than, <laughs> than, than George Clooney and everything. So, um, so she started beca- learning medicine. And from there, she went into writing and journalism. And now hmm. she's in uh, therapy. So all of these careers inform her therapy, which I feel is very That's unique amazing. to her. Yeah. And it's about her going to her therapist. Like she also needs a therapist. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody needs to talk to her. And, and all the, the aha moments in her life, which she's not able to, because obviously for, uh, first, before anything else, a therapist is a human being, right? So that's what, so there are so many parts of this book, which are very, um, which really make you stop and reflect and think about mental health in, in mm-hmm. a way that a self-help book would not. Because okay. it's not a PG, it's not sort of telling you what to do or telling you how to feel. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's literally just her experiences, but obviously mm-hmm. her experiences are universal. And she has mm-hmm. such a large uh, gamut of patients that mm-hmm. you definitely fit in somewhere. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it, there are a lot of paragraphs which are worth reflecting on. She talks about, uh, she has a senior citizen patient. So she talks about therapy for someone who's old and, you know, how do you really help uh, somebody who who thinks has come to the end of their life and you know then what else is there to do mm-hmm, she mm-hmm. has she has couples therapy so she's seeing different like married people she has uh, young people so there's a whole you definitely relate to someone out of all, all of them mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's well written I would say there are parts of it which I feel are a bit technical where she goes into the whole uh, 
like she goes into the definitions of certain kinds of therapy mm-hmm. right like uh, where she's actually talking about the problem for like two pages and what like a medical book mm-hmm. so it seemed like a medical book so okay. like like conversion therapy she talks about it for a long time different different things like that so mm-hmm. uh, i would say those are a bit like technical but otherwise the book is very easy to read mm-hmm. um it's very it's it's very interesting it's unlike anything i've ever read mm-hmm. so uh, yeah so i'm really enjoying it karan <laughs> I, i was going to ask so uh, you said you were the one who suggested this for your book club what made you yes. pick this book up were you always interested in therapy is this a line that have you read other books about therapy whether they be fiction non fiction anything like that what made you choose it no so i have definitely been very interested in therapy i feel like my life i can't imagine my life without therapy mm-hmm. honestly like it's just it's it's something that everyone needs i mean mm-hmm. i obviously with breaks it's not like you always need therapy at every point in your life mm-hmm. but honestly therapy just makes you see things very differently like it's it's you you just think only differently it's mm-hmm. not it's not um something that happens consciously it's something that happens over many many months where you start seeing the world differently so it's mm-hmm. not a tangible change mm-hmm. but at the end of the day it's very tangible after you look mm-hmm. at it after, like you know after a few years so mm-hmm. i uh, i've always been interested in various forms of therapy so i've gone i have uh, visited many different types of psychiatrists and psychologists mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. of course you need your connect you need your uh, you need that that uh, uh, you know that click to happen with a therapist so there there might be many different therapists you see before you find the one mm-hmm. so to speak so uh, uh and so a lot of what lori gotlip is talking about in this books is very familiar to me already mm-hmm. because not only have i been a patient i've studied psychology as well i've yeah. studied psychology in college so i have a couple of close friends who are therapists so i hear all about them so there's yeah. this whole thing where um, she talks about a, a a friday uh circle where all her group of therapists meet and they discuss each other's patients and they oh. sort of get each other's point of view on their mm-hmm. patients and how mm-hmm. to deal with them and uh, so i know what, what i know how that is because sometimes uh, my therapist friends also of course keeping all confidential of information course, yeah. they yeah. yeah they discuss you know what to do because at the end of the day it is like they're not magicians right so um and is therapy for each yeah. other as you mentioned they themselves need that sort of outlet right to yes. to discuss issues yeah. so i mean it sounds like you sort of have like i mean okay so going back you mentioned that the the parts in this book where the language does get a bit technical does get a bit medical jargon right um you sound yes. like you sort of have interest on both sides like from the the side of the patient and the side of the therapist this book yes. who do you think this book is directed for is it is it for potential patients or is it for other therapists to sort of look at it upon like i wonder what other therapists think about a book like this who, who is the target audience for this no i totally agree because while i read it i kept feeling like i have to send this to my therapist i have to send this to my therapist and i have to send this to my uh, uh, my friend who's a therapist and i have to you know i i kept thinking oh she would know this but then i also feel like they would for them this is very basic information you know it's not something new they're learning it's something that they know already so i would think this book is for people like all people it's not just patients or therapists it's for everyone first of all it's for regular people who don't believe in therapy to show mm-hmm. them how important therapy is not just for regular patients for therapists themselves so yeah. that's how important it is for everybody mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and 
definitely for for patients to know that they're not alone like mm-hmm. every person in the world has issues you know mm-hmm. and that itself is very empowering to know that whatever you may think of a person's life on google on facebook etc it's just it's just not true mm-hmm. you know that everybody has something they're struggling with and the idea is to go and get help for it because there's really it's just it's as simple as having a cold or a fever or a cough and mm-hmm. getting help for it getting you know uh, treatment so it's 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 like that so it's basically like making therapy more accessible mm-hmm. and i feel like the reason i picked it up was because uh, a yes of course i'm always interested in therapy but the idea of a therapist talking to a therapist mm-hmm. was very interesting for me and i've never really read a book on uh, therapy or mental health as such mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. this was not your typical it's not a self help book at all mm-hmm. i i am not a fan of self help yeah. books so yeah. uh yeah so that that's what kind of drew me to it and i just discovered um as I've, as we've been talking you know um, that she it's it's being made into a tv series too i think uh, the oh, that's great. This book yeah so uh, uh we probably get to know a lot more about her story so my i mean i guess my last question to this considering this book would be uh she is an american um therapist she's an american author yes. um yes. and she i'm sure she writes from a, an american perspective towards mental health which has i mean it has it has always been more progressive than we have in india but especially over the last decade or so it has become really progressive you know i follow um, like I'm, i'm a big sports fan and it's it's been kind of very interesting to see um the, the sports world open up to mental health and and sort of accepting that like these sort of alpha males who play basketball or football or whatever also need mental health help and and this is something that um, this is something that has been um, again it, it, it sort of overall what i'm trying to say it, it speaks to how uh, the west in general has opened its arms more towards mental health and therapy but speaking bringing back home speaking from an indian perspective we are still in those murky waters where people think health is mostly just like if you're going to be a doctor you have to be a doctor of like heart ka doctor ya pair toot gaya uska wala doctor like basically you're going to be of something physical and tangible and that's the kind of health we're going to discuss whereas mental health is still kind of a taboo in india now whether it's um, uh, going into the field as a psychologist i think i think parents are more open to that because after all the kid is being a doctor but i mean more from the patient's perspective for a patient to admit that they need mental health help is a huge taboo in our country still uh, i mean they made that big alia bhat movie a few years ago and it was considered like so forward thinking even though it really wasn't it was it, it should have been the norm right yes no so i think karan now this is a field that's making strides every day you know i mean uh, our mental health as like a society collectively is deteriorating over the last one year right definitely because of the pandemic and every day we see if you just tune into sort of the mood of social media on that on that particular day we see our society more and more uh, you know leaning more and more towards getting help towards accepting things self love accepting that you're not okay you know those kind of things like there are crowdsourced therapist numbers uh, being shared mm-hmm. uh, and i'm obviously only talking about a certain set of people in metros i mean mm-hmm. in the heart of india this is just not a thing right like therapy is not a thing yeah i mean so, i guess i said that because i like i come from a small town so so people around me are not yeah. the same as or, or i'll put it this way people around me when i'm in delhi have a completely different viewpoint to it as compared to people around me when i'm in up you know and i think that's the mm. big 
thing. I think the big cities, as you rightly pointed out, people are willing to admit when they need help, or they will, or, yeah. or or they don't even consider it as help anymore. It's just a part of life, almost. You know, it is um, a part of life because honestly, it's not about a problem. You don't go to a therapist when you have a problem, right? Yeah. Like for me, my therapist guides me on everything: my life goals, mm-hmm. uh, you know, things like small things like procrastination, why I'm procrastinating, <laughs> what I want to achieve out of life, like how I can do it, my daily routine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and none of those are problems everybody yeah. has all that of but course, it, yeah. the fact is that when you approach it from the angle of mental health you get to the real root of you're not treating a symptom you're treating a cause mm-hmm. and that's how you really uh, the, your growth happens you know like i've i found a lot of my growth happening via mm-hmm. actually going into the reasons why i do things and they may be uncomfortable but that's where growth happens when yeah. it's uncomfortable you know so it's uh so i feel like of course india's <laughs> far behind in the sense uh, like people don't even think that uh, people think therapy is a very westernized phenomenon because they have their family and friends to talk to here and that's therapy mm-hmm. but it couldn't be further from the truth because mm-hmm. uh, you know you don't you just don't get the same opinion from family and friends they're too invested so uh, I would, yeah I, I mean i think books like this help change the uh, change the whole idea but yeah I, i would love to see sort of i mean at some point i i know there have been academic papers written forever for decades people in india have been tackling issues of mental health and therapy we have our own writer on the chakras uh, who actually started a mental health in india series where she kind of approaches yes, from from angles of uh, casteism colonialism of like um, of, of mental health with of, of people of sexual minorities you know So stuff like that, and how uh, mental health of students, like how it affected all these different fields. Um, but I would love to see to read like a more popularized, like a pop fiction, or or sorry, um, uh, uh, like the, the kind of like an airport nonfiction version of an important therapy book about India, because there is so much that I think our our understanding in, as Indians, and not just Indians, I would say a lot of Asians has been. We have so many more like tangible. or at least a generation before us so many more tangible issues just surviving in life that we didn't really exactly. have time to to think of like how it was going to affect us mentally not just our parents but like it's a generational <laughs> mental health right so i would love to see that someday someone like lori gottlieb of india to kind of like address those issues it'd be i think it'd be a best seller i think you know if we plant the seeds of th- these ideas i'm sure there's someone already working on it so yeah i hope so i mean i know one of my Uh, earlier therapist has written a book on anxiety which did really well okay. uh, so nali gupta she's written a book on anxiety it's especially in the pandemic it's selling mm-hmm. like hotcakes but uh, yeah i mean again that's more of a self help book uh, uh, but i i know what you mean i mean i would be i would love to read all this because indians literally feel like like i'm talking about the rural indians mm-hmm. they feel like all this is indulgent you know mm-hmm. they're like what are you doing even like it's yeah. just because it it all stems from our culture of not really showing emotion right yeah. like there are so many people we know who don't even like who live in uh, smaller towns etc who don't really believe in wishing happy birthday or any such thing they don't want to show emotion of any kind mm. you know like their idea of showing emotion is like cooking something nice yeah. or uh, you know like it's unsaid emotion so even like to- the idea of talking to someone about their emotions is like far away So and, I mean, yeah, it would be great. There's a lot of work to be done. And and there's it, it's it's sort of beautiful uh, 
what you just mentioned like the uns- there there is a beauty to that unsaid emotion that we have in Definitely. our culture which is you know Definitely. like we don't we don't necessarily have to say you know like it's it, it, it's kind of weird in indian family tell your own mother you love her right sometimes but, exactly but then but then you do something super sweet for her and she knows it although every once in a while you have you should say it <laughs> those things have to be said out loud just so um yeah so i guess a mix of both those things would be the way forward um that's Shasta, I, I, the book I, I read i read i read a, a novel and i reread a novel which is it's going to sound like we're, we're taking a complete like tangent like you know we, we're taking a u turn away from what we've been discussing but trust me <laughs> by the end it'll connect the, the paths will connect uh, i'm sure <laughs> i read i read uh, reread the, the castle by frank kafka uh, one wow. of my favorite authors of all time um this is a 1926 novel published first in german in 1926 but he started writing it several years ago before that so literally we're talking about something that was written 100 years ago not relevant <laughs> you may think <laughs> but um, no no very relevant i'm sure still um have have you before i guess started have you read any kafka or anything i haven't i've always been very curious mm-hmm. because uh, things like kafka uh, authors like kafka and dostoevsky uh, and all of them have just been like very inaccessible even though i'm a literature student <laughs> i've just somehow never gotten to them because i've always felt like they're very uh, like i won't be able to understand them <laughs> but i feel like now i can <laughs> it, it, he doesn't make it easy you know um, I, I, i have been feeling especially absurd recently with you know just everything uh, and uh, so 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 this was a good reason so this is the this is my copy it's the oh. originally written in german but this is the penguin modern classics translation uh, translated by okay. j a underwood now kafka just short background is kind of important to this because he was a german jewish writer who was born where uh, which is now the czech republic um right the, the rough story is that there's a protagonist named k that's all he has the name of the guy's k kafka names many of his protagonists like that his more his more popular novel i guess the trial the main uh, character is joseph k and um, you know it's not hard to decipher that he's sort of putting himself into that situation kafka k right um, now in the castle k is a land surveyor who arrives in a village and he's been hired by some like mysterious authorities who governed the, the castle at the edge of the village for a job but he's never able to actually reach that castle for some reason or the other he's stuck in this village you know whether it's bureaucratic madness there's sexual distractions there's some personal reasons whatever happens he just he's looking at the castle he wants to get there but he can never get there this whole novel is just that absurdity what makes this even more absurd is that kafka actually never finished the novel he died before he could finish the work if you know anything about kafka you know that he barely had any publications during his lifetime you know he's considered one of the greatest of authors of all time yet he died at age 40 of tuberculosis in 1924 um and in his will he told his uh, executor and his friend max broad to destroy all unfinished works which includes the which include the trial which include the castle and so many others but after his death broad he ignored his wishes and he published these books anyways and he published them from like his own so he finished them like he saw fit his friend so, so uh, uh, uh broad saw a lot of like spiritual stuff in kafka's work and a lot of later translations or later like adaptations of the book have tried to like do away with broad sort of um, spiritual understanding they wanted to present it as kafka wanted um so, however absurd it may be 
so so kafka actually he he didn't even finish the castle he he actually stopped the book mid sentence so is it like is it like the castle was a metaphor for the goals he wanted to achieve and he actually didn't end up achieving them in real life as well it that is the most kafka s thing of the, every everything like uh, it it's yeah. such a strange read because you know um it must have it must have been very hard to edit because it's clearly an early draft by the author himself it's unfinished so a lot of the expectations go out the window here uh, you know the chapters earlier are named after characters and incidents and then the later chapter they're just called 20 21 22 you know it seems he's just oh it's all over the place yeah. towards the second half there's hardly any paragraph breaks he just has these long chunks um and the chunk, chunks are very bleak they're kind of difficult to, to read but they have this effect on the reader which is i think kafka wanted to have on the reader whereas thing you know things feel repetitive they feel absurd they feel difficult you know i, I asked myself like i'm reading this the second time why am i reading this <laughs> like what's actually going on what is the point what's the point of the castle of life <laughs> all of that right um, yeah th- there is a contact person in the castle called clam who's a mysterious man who's ensuring that k never actually ever gets there you know sometimes k has a problem lodge, even lodging in the village inns where he's trying to get permission to go to the castle he gets a job as a caretaker in a school while he waits and then now he has other responsibilities he gets in a relationship with a woman and gets engaged to her uh, her name is frida he has a couple of messengers who try to help him but they make life even worse for him a couple of assistants so there's all this like mysterious stuff going on and you know he never ever gets there and i think um, it was suggested in you know in there like as as you said it's the castle could be a lot of things it could be um it could be like fulfillment in life it could be heaven it could be just mm-hmm. like finding a reason fi- finding an end and it's kind of ironic that kafka himself didn't really find the end in this whole you know as as yeah maybe the book was the castle first <laughs> <laughs> so you know there's a there are a lot of themes of solitude and loneliness in this book which is why i'm coming back to like the mental health issues you know there's a huge cast of characters but it seems that no one actually understands k in i mean they understand him but they don't actually get him what what he wishes to do and then conversely right. he doesn't really understand them either like w- what is their purpose what are their jobs why are they trying to stop him you know he's it's a populated world but he's kind of alone in it um i'll read an excerpt it's it's probably the oh, sa- yeah. saddest and loneliest sex scene in a novel i've ever read <laughs> it's oh, wow. not, okay. not going to be awkward I, i promise um okay she was in search of something and he was in search of something enraged pulling faces burrowing into each other's breasts they searched and they're hugging and they're hugging at then at their heavenly bodies bought them no oblivion but reminded them of their duty to search the way dogs scratch desperately in the earth they scratch at each other and in helpless disappointment still pursuing final bliss now and again swept their tongues over each other's faces it's just like wow <laughs> it, it 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 just sounds like they it, they're just doing the du- duty they're not actually yeah. neither of them is yeah. having fun in this in this particular no, it situation. doesn't sound fun. doesn't sound like um, fun at all it just it's very intense yeah um yeah so it's uh, i i felt that you know he he really spoke a lot of his other fiction like i've read the trial i've read metamorphosis one of his most famous short stories a lot of it is about these sort of i mean on the surface he sort of trying to um he he's he's calling out the, like the absurdity of bureaucracy in a way like how how difficult it is just to get something done 
you know, a character mm-hmm. is in trouble and there's, he has to run around loops just to get through the loops, you know, just to get something, just to get from A to B. But on a deeper level, it, as I mentioned, there, it's a lot about just the, the inability of, of humans to A, accept their condition and uh, not being really able to change and then the, just the abject loneliness in despite the fact that you know we are we are where we are you know um True. yeah it's uh, it's strange like I, I i felt that even though it's 100 years old i felt that people of any generation can relate to that message a little bit you know in my opinion the, that loneliness absurdity it, it it hits us close at home in our country too you know we, we we see often see a government which is like the castle is being shady we don't know it, it's a close enterprise you don't really know what's giving you the orders, you know. Um, we, we sort of like encouraged via other stuff. We, we're distracted from it. Like sometimes we think we're, we're trying to get to an aim, but there's religious hysteria. There's other personal goals that come in our way, you know. Um, yeah. And and we're lonely in a crowd because it's so yeah. crowded anyway, <laughs> and we're lonely still, you know. Yeah, it's you know I I read it and I, and as I was, I was wondering, I was like, you know, this it's life isn't that simple that you can just walk over to a castle from the village, even though we can see it the whole time, you know, uh, there's always roadblocks. There, there's sometimes other people, the bureaucracy, and then sometimes we ourselves, we come in our way. So uh, exactly. it, it, it is a very strange, surreal, difficult read, like a lot of Kafka's work. But um, I, I, I'm really into stories like this, which are sort of almost um, mystical. I won't, I won't quite say mystical. There's no magic happening. But they, they feel as if they're, they're unsettling, that, that it is our world, but it's not really our world. Like something is off. Right, you know? right, right, right. Yeah. of course. But you've made Kafka sound very interesting, Karan. I think I'm actually going to pick it up and read it you for should. the first time. Yeah. You should. I, I would suggest start with Metamorphosis, uh, his short story, okay. where um, it's a famous short story where he wakes up in the morning and he has, the main character is turned into an insect. Um, and... Oh. He, he just wakes up and he's an insect, and 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 his his first his his concern isn't the fact that he's an insect. His concern is that he's going to be late for work, and I think that to me is uh, Kafka in a nutshell. That like he makes this like life is terrible, but you still have to do your duty in a way, you know. Yeah, very interesting. I think I'm going to order the books today. Yeah, you should. You totally should. Uh, uh, and and the sad part is that it it it, it hits us. In, in our current existence too. And I, I know this is a pretty sad way to end, end the podcast. So we should talk about your book again. <laughs> we should finish with the <laughs> fact that, uh, that there was a lot of like positive lessons to be taken out of Laurie Gottlieb. Oh, definitely. <laughs> no, definitely. I think everyone should read this book because uh, it's, it's not, it, it's fun. And it's also about, uh, it's also about knowing yourself better, you know, and that's what I like about it. Like you really get to know yourself from her pages and how, which is how she gets to know herself from her patients. So it's all like, you know, a, a continuous process. So I, yeah, I'm, in, I'm enjoying it. So, uh, yeah. That, that's awesome. Um, so just to recap, uh, Shasta, you read Maybe You Should Talk to Someone by Laurie Gottlieb. And I reread uh, The Castle by Frank Kafka. Um, right. Thank you guys for listening. And uh, we'll be back with a couple more books next month. Yes, thank you. <laughs> So I'm here with Pratik Santram, Associate Editor of The Chakkar, and we are super excited today to talk about one of our favorite movies ever made, one of the one of the greatest films of all time. You know, 
normally prateek you and i talk about more current cinema you know films that have been released recently hmm. or over the last few months last few years but we are hmm. going back in time today we're going uh, you know about 13 years back in time 12 13 years back in time um the golden <laughs> the, 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 the golden stone age <laughs> so uh, prateek uh, you know indian cinema you know it's largest in the world so many big mainstream bollywood movies so many movies in regional languages so many art films independent films you know and then mm. of course like the sleazy b and c language like b and c movies as they say you know mm-hmm. now obviously the b movies are usually terrible but every once yeah. in a while you know the the two worlds collide you get the yeah. ambition of a mainstream movie with the thinking of a b movie and what you end up <laughs> yeah. getting is is like terrible cinema that becomes cult cinema cult cinema yeah, yeah, yeah. so so today's film <laughs> that we going to talk about is and we rewatched it recently about a few months ago i think is yeah. the unbelievable debut by the great kamal rashid khan otherwise known as krk desh drohi desh drohi yeah yeah uh yeah i mean uh, just to quickly <laughs> before we start with desh drohi yeah the, the 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 list of movies that are bad i mean i guess the world over i mean yeah, so, but since we're talking about india or about bollywood uh it's a pretty big list i mean it 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 definitely outstrips uh, good films and uh, i mean and those of course include the big budget films also which sometimes end up being terrible but yes. the but most most movies when especially the b grade c grade movies as you said are bad like whether it be the execution whether it be sto- the writing whatever it is but then you of course you have those gems which are so bad they're good hmm. right uh, and that's again it's a worldwide phenomenon but uh, yeah but dej drohi i think fits right into that kind of uh, that category um it and, is, and the best i think yeah no it it is so terrible yet think so highly of itself that it that's what for, i was going to come yeah. it makes a for a magical combination i mean the 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 most famous version of this um in abroad in, in the us is the room right the story yeah. everyone thinks over like the worst bad movie i think yeah. dej drohi is the the desi version of the room except it's done at a very typically Blood. indian bombastic sort of uh, <laughs> level 2 um yeah. so so get this uh the film is produced by krk mm-hmm. written by krk and yeah. stars krk in the lead role so he really mm-hmm. is a triple threat he's like clint eastwood but of terrible indian cinema and there's too bad he didn't direct it the film is directed by uh, jagdish a sharma who i don't know mm-hmm. anything else about it also mm-hmm. stars I'll, i'll just give you guys a little bit of the cast information uh, it, it stars shockingly gracie singh not long after her breakthrough prateek oscar nominated film <laughs> lagan <laughs> lagan yeah uh, and it, it stars uh, one of the legends of bhojpuri cinema turned terrible politician manoj tiwari <laughs> and another legendary actor in in, in uh, kader khan the le- legend you know uh, actually he, Yeah, yeah. I mean, the whole or oh, the whole star cast actually reads. Uh, I wouldn't say who's who, but definitely like names that you know. You know, people like Avtar Gill. Maybe it's familiar. Uh, Kim Sharma yeah. plays an item number. He chooses item number. Um, and Hrishita uh, Bhat plays the Trishita. hottest girl ever seen in Indian Village. We we will get to that <laughs> later, but but that's a role. So before I go further, Pratik, how did you first come across Tej Drohi, and what were your initial sort of thoughts? So this is the funny thing that they he actually spent a lot of money in promoting it. So they were they used to run uh, back then people used to watch television because they were an OTT platform. So 
no, he used to run uh, commercials like uh, trailers for this film, like really small trailers for this film uh, during prime time. Mm. Like, so if you're watching sports, if you're watching a movie, if you're watching on, on television, this, you would have heard of this film. And it really intrigued me because I was like, what kind of movies is this? Even like the biggest stars don't do this. Yeah. Like they do not have like prime time slots like that, you know. And But this guy was doing it for, for this movie. And I was like, wow, like this, in my head, for whatever reason, I was like, okay, this is going to be like this serious, hard-hitting um, film which is going to tackle issues because just the way it was presented. I mean, and, and I think in the beginning, there was no like, there were no rushes of the film. There was just, just this uh, Dej Drohi that came and you couldn't see the acting or anything like that. So I, I actually was very intrigued. And of course, then you saw a few clips from the film and you're like, oh, okay, this guy just has a lot of money. Um, I mean, from the film's perspective, from KRK's perspective, this is a very serious movie that tackles big issues. We will get like so, so we'll get into that. But but so so from their point, that is exactly what's happening. And and I think, you know, there was this sort of age of Indian cinema uh, pre Hamapke Hai Kon, where uh, like late eighties, early nineties, where every film was just filled with with these like revenge fantasy stories, where there's a lot of like like you know a, a lot of non-consensual molestation and things get really worse and uh yeah. it's it's like every film has has these like terrible like rape scenes like it was just yeah. it was just a very standard thing in bollywood um if you were the if you were the protagonist of the hero's sister you are going to get raped it it, like, it that was a sad reality of bollywood you know yeah, um yeah and and there was just like a lot of unneeded overdone violence you know uh mm-hmm. so 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 this is almost a throwback to that sort of thinking but it was done in 2008 which is mm-hmm. it, it was wonderful 2008 isn't that long ago actually you know yeah. 2008 was around the same time you know that like Dave D was made which I consider yeah. my favorite Bollywood movie so yeah. so so the fact that <laughs> like around the same couple of years these two could exist was hilarious so so here's yeah. the loose plot uh, so for people who are just like super curious and who don't know anything about this KRK plays Raja Yadav He's a man who wants to escape his father's beating from an unnamed village in UP. He's really clumsy. And basically the worst thing to happen in his life is like this hot girl who keeps on ramming her bicycle into his. And I say this without any metaphor. This is just an yeah. actual yeah. bicycle is rammed into his quite often. He, he keeps on like spilling the rice that he's, he's supposed to deliver to his dad. It's, it's the worst thing that could happen to him. He gets beaten up a lot. But, you know, so anyways, he runs away. He comes to Mumbai. And here is where the movie really, the wheels are rolling. He comes, he runs into all sorts of gangsters who are extorting poor vendors. Gracie, Gracie Singh shows up in this badass motorbike and single-handedly kicks everyone's ass. Raja's main goal in Mumbai is to look up his friend from village, Shekhar, who's played by Manoj Tiwari. Shekhar has boasted that he's a big man, you know, in the big city. But actually, he's only working as like a security guard or a driver. And then moonlights as an assassin once in a while. Like, that's also part of the... Like you do. <laughs> like yeah, you like, do. Like you do. So listen, a lot of other weird stuff happens. Gangsters get involved, drug drug peddlers are involved, cops are really corrupt, politicians are corrupt. Raja, he, um, uh, Raja Yadav, KRK, he takes turns between mm. crying, fighting, romancing, all of these things happening. You know, he, he and gets giving himself, moral, moral lectures. Giving moral lectures about like morality and nationalism. Um, he gets himself into lot, all sorts of trouble. And the film does a great job, I must say, in addressing, this is the serious stuff that it really does a great job in addressing the, the sort of like animosity that North Indians, that people from UP and Bihar face in Maharashtra and in Mumbai, particularly in the, that time, it was super politicized yeah. in those years. Um, particularly people of the labor class, the working class, you know, um, facing this stuff against the nativist in Mumbai. Um, anyways, 
every cop in this movie or every badass has has managed that an ultimatum that in 24 hours that he's they're going to kill raja and spoiler yeah. alert raja is the terminator he just he 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 he's the <laughs> emotional crying terminator he keeps on coming back um i don't know i, I don't want to add anything more but pratik do you want to add anything to this this sort of rough uh, background i've given to this film no the, the thing is i was trying to there's no way we can like actually tell there's no one minute synopsis of this film because it is for too deep for the terrible the terrible film it is it has a lot of plot twists yes. in the sense of at too least many. it tries to have a lot of plot twists which means too many yes, so yeah. yeah you can't really tell us tell them synopsis but yeah it's i think you you, you hit the nail on the head that i mean it, it might confuse it might confuse christopher nolan it, like just to have the, all the plot twists held up together he'd be like kya ho raha in all honesty like I, i think one thing that we need to mention is that uh, which we'll uh, refer to soon is uh, gracie singh has a brother yes who who is who is the purpose of her existence yeah the reason so that is for life she she says that he he's the only reason she does anything she does anything yeah so that's a very important it's an important part of the fact, film yeah. well. even though so, it's not an important character yeah yeah so um so i just had a few questions for you we got like spitfire these questions like instead of doing yeah. like a review we just want to get a reaction we both rewatched this movie recently we rewatched mm-hmm. it on dvd pratik we had, we went old fashioned i actually had a dvd and on dvd player that's how we watched a, it a genuine dvd a, a genuine a, dvd a, a um now uh, apart from krk who's of course the mm-hmm. god of this film who would you say was your favorite actor you can't say krk I can't say KRK, unfortunately. Yeah. Of course, I mean, as I said, the, the the number of actors in this film are are huge. I would actually say, I just thought of this. Uh, the the Mossy, the Mossy that is uh, Gracie Singh's aunt. Okay. Uh, she, she steals a small role, but she steals the show. Yeah. It's it's like yeah, it's like Anthony Hopkins' Silence of the Lambs, like really short <laughs> but Oscar worthy. Um, but yeah, but but in all honesty, like there there's so many. <laughs> established actors you really don't kadir khan i think did the guy was the guy who did the most uh, genuine job yeah. who took it more seriously i think the other one other people realize how bad a film it was i i have to go with gracie singh because she just really shows a lot of range in this movie you know sometimes she's a wonder woman sometimes she's yeah. a damsel in distress who who can't really do anything at all like it's she's she's been the script has forced this is not gracie's fault the script has forced us into this wild Thing that sometimes she's unstoppable and sometimes she can't do anything, anything at all. And she, 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 she does a job. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you remember any of the songs, but do you have a I favorite don't... song sequence? I actually do remember some of the songs, which I'm not going to sing them though. But, yes. but I the the reason why this song sequence is my favorite song sequence is because yeah. uh, I'm going to give a spoilers here, guys. Sorry. Give the spoiler. But, uh, big spoiler, huge spoiler. But Gracie Singh's brother basically dies while protecting KRK. He gets shot. Sacrifices his life. Sacrifices his life. The purpose of Gracie Singh's life dies in her own arms. They they leave his body and run away. That's one thing. And then the very next scene is where where the Mossy comes. Didn't we note? In. Didn't we note, Pratik, that um, that he didn't get any uh, dialogue in this film? The the, the sacrifice well, brother. He, because he's a mute. So, so that he, mute. Uh, yeah. So so he was a mute. And so KRK also didn't have to pay him for this acting, which is like like a very important role that he had to play. He sacrifices yeah. life. Uh, but please do Non-spoiler. go on because this is my answer too. I have the same answer. <laughs> so, so he dies, right? The purpose: your brother is dead, the one who you lived all your life for, you did everything for. And in the very next scene, the uh, the Mossy shows up and says, "Oh, what a what a beautiful couple, or whatever." 
and they go straight into a song which by the way is shot in somewhere in the middle east i'm guessing dubai but it's, so again budget right and this is like literally even in movie time like maybe an hour after the brothers dead there's a fantasy song sequence in dubai in, in real time it's about 10 seconds after the, after seconds. the brothers dead <laughs> and the, the emotional dissonance is insane um yeah. also so I, i agree my favorite song too and uh, krk is wearing really dashing jeans and shades in every song it, it, in every single sequence actually every single sequence so it's amazingly bad um yeah a big question for you hmm. your favorite scene in the film and don't worry about spoilers if people have not seen it or you know what even after the spoiler they'll want to watch it so your favorite scene please throw here it 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 has to be it i mean again great scenes but it has to be magar kyun are shekhar tu are shekhar yahan are shekhar mere yaar ye kya hai अरे वाचमैन की नौकरी छोड़कर अंडरवर्ल्ड ज्वाइन कर लिया है क्या चला गले लग जा आज तुम्हें मुझे नहीं मौत को गले लगाना है मेरा नाम कालिया है और कालिया का मतलब मौत मगर क्यों मैंने तेरा क्या बिगाड़ा था सो So yeah, so so Shekhar shoots. I mean, you'll see Shekhar shoots uh, KRK, and I think Terminator was a great comparison because I think Arnold Schwarzenegger has way more range as the Terminator than KRK, and uh, I, I, there's so many great scenes. There's that. There's of course the, the you know the moralizing scene. We'll talk about that in my favorite quote yeah. part. But I think my favorite scene has to be the like I guess because I didn't remember it. The very end of the film. where he is now confronting like every politician is corrupt even the ones he trusted and now he has to confront yeah. the the final baddie who who's mm. going to a very well secured political rally or or some sort Most of like right. speech is giving and krk is apparently just hidden underground for like 24 to 48 hours who knows for for some amount of time we're not sure about he makes this dramatic entry jumps up from the ground and basically embarrasses everyone into losing or sort of confessing their crimes um mm. he he kicks everyone's butt it's amazing um uh, i tease this uh, prateek what what would you say was your favorite quote in the film and i'm we might have the oh same gosh. favorite quote i think so to uh, just a very close second is uh, sale tu gaya it 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 sounds funny but every time he kills someone especially mm-hmm. in the lat- uh, second half of the film he says sale tu gaya all right uh, for whatever reason anyway my favorite quote in the film oh gosh Uh, I have it written is, in Hindi, and I actually wrote it down. And if if we are thinking okay. about the same quote, yeah. Is it is it after he he beats up the guy? So, that so, one. So he has a big stick in his hand. It might be yeah. a baseball bat even. He's beating a bunch of gangsters who are insulting him for being a North Indian. You know. Mm. Now all of them now are on the floor. They're begging for mercy. He's 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 whooping their butts so much, and while he's he's beating them up for being hateful themselves. he's telling them that that india is all one country that is a brotherhood and he adds the line jitni nafrat hamare liye tumhare dil mein hai usse zyada pyar tumhare liye hamare seene mein hai kabhi up bihar aake dekhna mehman ko bhagwan samajhte hain samjhe now pratik would you like to translate this <laughs> so basically in the middle of the fight he goes um oh gosh uh, the amount of hatred you have in your heart for us the the far greater love exists in our chests 
for you for you yeah yeah uh, for you for you kabhi uh, come to come to uh, up or bihar uh, the northern states beautiful states uh, and uh, we will show you that we consider the guests our guests as gods and right? the moment he and then he proceeds to beat the crap out of them beating the crap out of now now uh, we must add that both you and i are north indians we are we are up walas you know um, yes yes we like to remind that every single time so for so this moment had a particular extra hilarity because you're feeling emotional about the cause and at the same time you're like what the hell is this guy doing <laughs> uh, the, so the film's message pratik it, it leads us to the next thing it, it, you know it was pretty controversial mm-hmm. upon his release uh, you, i don't yeah. know if you know it's this but banned, I, I, yeah yeah so upon my wikipedia research it was banned for a few months in maharashtra uh, wow. the, the message is told in a terrible way but it is important mm. you know like I, i'm a up wala i visit mumbai often and especially mm. in the time when this movie was made i i was very aware of these tensions uh, yeah. i i normally i call anyone a bhaiya i you know when yeah. i'm in delhi when i'm up when i'm in uh, uttarakhand you know you, you go to chaiwala you say bhaiya ye de do you go taxi guy you say bhaiya de do whatever you know and it's a yeah. it's like a common courtesy to a stranger but but in mumbai i stopped doing it in case it offended somebody you know uh, and it just It, it, it so they they did address those tensions in a really good way except kids yeah. violence is never the answer <laughs> <laughs> violence is never the answer but actually in the beginning like especially the that scene in the bus and all again terrible acting but yeah. but it's i mean things like that happen i mean similar yeah. things at least happen to people you know when you are uh, discriminated against and i think his idea that part of the film that intention was good that message was good uh, those days were quite tumultuous it is also yeah. days of like the political parties trying to rile everyone up mm-hmm. like they do from uh, time to time uh and yeah i had friends uh, shortly before that time you know who whose bikes got uh, broken because they they had a up number on it mm-hmm. so i myself have never faced it thankfully mm-hmm. uh but i have had friends who who faced it mm-hmm. so yeah i mean absolutely it did it did kind of hit home a point yeah. um do you know if a sequel was ever made because i think they they started making a sequel but Yeah. I, as far as i'm aware they didn't actually finish it do you know anything more about this what i know about it is that he was planned to make a sequel on uh, about 2611 hmm. uh whether whether this was this was the mumbai attacks uh in the same year of uh, 2008 uh, now whether this was going to be a direct sequel where he was going to be acting in it or a continuation of the story mm-hmm. or was it a fresh like story with with the same characters or same actors i am not sure uh I had actually heard that it has been shot, it's been made, but it was never released. So it's one of the but great unseen, unseen films in in world cinema. It's a, yeah, it's yeah, one of yeah, those Snyder, Snyder cut. Snyder cut's got nothing. It's a Snyder yeah. cut. It's the KRK cut. KRK um, cut. So 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 I, I was wondering, like you know, if he had to make a sequel, uh, this is my mm. idea. You know, in in the film KRK is called the Desh Drohi, which means anti-national mm. uh, mm-hmm. or like a traitor to the nation, but he ends up being a hero. Like the it's like kind of ironic, of right? Now. the the nationalist who of our, our time who when they disagree with anybody they call them a desdrohi they call them basically mm. that that sort of insult that krk turned into um uh, turned around in his film so i yeah. think in the sequel krk has to confront and question rss politics as a desdrohi <laughs> he has to be the guy who has to be like like like, like no i'm not the desdrohi your politics of india are the actual Anti-national. It would be bad, yeah, but that's the point. It would be like, bad. 
the only person who can do who's brave enough to do it is is Kamal Rashid Khan. Rashid Khan, yeah, I, I think you hit it on there. Uh, yeah, anyone basically who's who's not a part of the RSS BJP, uh, probably like you can make the movie about anyone. And actually, there's a lot, lots of there are lots of topics to choose from. Mm. So you know, he could be a farmer. I mean, there there you go. He could be a farmer, like he was, like at least he comes from like a family. Was, yeah. His dad was. He could belong to a minority, which yeah. you could work that on somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, you could. Uh, I don't know. You could anything. Eat the wrong thing. I don't know. <laughs> so, 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 Pratik, tell me in um, tell me in a few sentences, why mm-hmm. is this the best worst film ever made? It's the best worst film ever made because it takes itself seriously. Uh, a, I mean, a lot of, and that's that's one of the hallmarks of like really great bad films yes. is that they think that they're making the next Citizen Kane or in this case you probably thought he was making the next the next show I don't know like you're working on the next show yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, so that's the thing and he's actually very very serious about it now the yes. different the, it's a different thing that he actually had the money to make it and he made himself star in it uh, and if you actually watch the movie uh the production value seems very low, but it's evident he spent a lot of money on it. Yeah. So I think that's why that's why this is really a great bad film. Like it, it, it is amb- it is ambitious in his message. It is filled with like decent actors, people who were almost stars mm-hmm. that we mentioned. You know, pretty decent mm-hmm. backbone to this movie. And then KRK mm-hmm. comes and poops all over it. Like he's got his his, <laughs> his acting story. Just overall, like his need to be the star of the show. Uh, that's what makes oh, yeah. it yeah. unbelievably funny. And it was actually a pretty fun rewatch, I must say. Like it was a, uh, it was. It was, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Pratik, thanks for rewatching the film with me, and thanks for joining in this very um, entertaining breakdown. A big thank you to all the guests for joining us today, and of course to all the listeners who have tuned in. I hope you have enjoyed this episode. Please check us out on thechucker.com, and we are on Facebook, on Instagram, and Twitter at thechucker. Until next time, Chakkar Ghumte Raho.